this. Yes, Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. Sit down, sit down. Uh, I'm uh, your uh, your guest, uh, professor, this afternoon, evening. I'm uh, George Lucas, the world's greatest filmmaker. Ha 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 ha, it's a funny George Lucas joke. Sit down. Um, and uh, before we start the show, I just want to do a part one. A um, little piece of filmmaking uh, knowledge that I, I, I hold deep in my heart, and I hope you'll learn it's a rule I've, I've always abided by, which is, if uh, any of you get between me and my Taco Bell collector's cup money, I will cut the tongue from your head. All right, George, thanks. Thanks, George. You did a great job. Guess, well, everyone, uh, I'm Alex Bonner, and uh, I am the true professor here at the Blockbuster Film School, joined by the headmaster, Mr. Nicholas Souter. Hi. You know, it was weird there. The longer George talked, the more he sounded like he was from the south side of Chicago. That's, oh, uh, well, you know... Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm from Modesto, California. I like to say that before I have any interview. I'm from Modesto, California. If you haven't guessed already, me, Nick, and Super Producer Brian Tepps are bringing you a Blockbuster Film School that we've been talking about for a little while now. It's about a filmmaker, a director, a producer, a entrepreneur. Unlike really any in the history of time. His Francis for Coppola. <laughs> he was his best friend for a long time. He is Mr. George Lucas. And um, it's going to be pretty fun. So, we're Brian, gonna... can you get a lot of boos and hisses after he <laughs> says George Lucas? <laughs> it's what post. weird Ewok sounds. <laughs> um, not racist prequel sounds. Okay? No, we'll None of that. those. We will talk about some of that. But, Nick, I know you have mixed feelings about Mr. GL. I feel very much one way about George <laughs> Lucas. There's no mix here. You love his handsome, bizarre Santa Claus if he was an asshole look. I want to lick that weird frog jowl <laughs> and see if it'll make he me trip. I'll crush you like a bug. Uh, <laughs> he does have some weird... If I keep my beard over this jowl, no one will notice. I'm thin now. <laughs> well, we've mocked his look, so let's talk about George Lucas just a little bit, uh, but we'll start with our usual gambit. Nick, what was the first George Lucas movie you ever saw? THX 1138. Really? I'm telling you, growing up with Encore, <laughs> he didn't direct Return of the Jedi. No, and I not. definitely saw the I saw Return of the Jedi and I saw He did produce it though. He did. He produced that in Empire. I remember seeing both of those on USA Network with commercials and thinking, man, these movies are long. And I just like <laughs> it's like, why these commercials are making them really long. They didn't cut out anything. No. But um that's part of his contract. Yeah. The first actual movie I saw of his was uh, THX. It's a good one. And it's yeah. his first feature film. We'll talk about it. A big critical success, but one of his few financial flops as a director. I think kind of his only financial flop as a director. What about Red Tails? Well, we'll talk about Red Tails okay. and whether he directed any of it or not. <laughs> he actually did, but it was in classic George Lucas weirdness where he went back in after the original director didn't do it right. And directed some scenes to, quote, unquote, fix it. Yeah. So also, I think as a producer, that's really his, really where George Lucas and as a businessman. Yeah. I, I was thinking about this in the back porch earlier. I'm on the back porch a lot before the show. Yeah. And he knows how to make films. Mm. He doesn't know 
how films should be made, though. Interesting. He knows how to get it done. Right. But then every once in a while, he just goes, you know what this scene needs? A fat CGI slug <laughs> destroying the continuity and flow of, like, everybody's favorite movie. <laughs> also, I feel like he got a press memo, like, basically from his minions in his Lucasfilm, Industrial Light Magic, THX, like, empire, where they said, um, George, uh, some of the demographics of the children say they'd like a slug toy that they'd like to play with, a Star Wars-based slug toy. Got it, slug toy. Make a slug for the new Star Wars. Do you hear that? Like, <laughs> I feel like there's an element of that. But we'll also talk about that maybe... That's something great about him. Truly, he changed the whole game and understood a, a fundamental thing about Hollywood and pop culture and how the generations of America were changing in a way that no one else understood. And he understood what kids wanted more than anybody else who'd ever worked at Hollywood. And it was very, very interesting. We'll talk about it too. I will say I saw Star Wars as a child and it was, it affected me slightly. It affected you like me. Star Wars, Alex? I like Star Wars. I saw, you know what's funny is I saw the original. I've told this story before, but I didn't know the difference. I was that little and I really liked Return of the Jedi and I would rent it over and over again from the video store. I wasn't old enough to read and I would climb out of my playpen to rewind it. And I figured out how VCRs worked so that I could watch Return of the Jedi over and over again. So that. <laughs> also, you were 10 in that playpen. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it was more I of a cage. I don't take anything away from you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, it was like, a, it was a whole thing. See the Simpsons where Bart had a laundry <laughs> thing on him and then just a <laughs> yes. rock on top of the basket. I was not supposed to escape because of my crimes, whatever. So I don't want to get into it right now. But we will talk about Mr. George Lucas. Let's talk about him just a little bit as a person. His name is George Walton Lucas Jr. Now, we'll talk about his dad a little bit because I don't know if you guys know this, but in his movies... He's got some dad issues, just a just a touch, just a. But yes, he is George Walton Lucas Jr. And he's also got some uncle issues. He's got, he's got all kinds of his understanding of dudes and masculinity and macho ness and what isn't macho, and it's sometimes it's interesting and nuanced. Sometimes it's heavy handed. I think we should say he was born May fourteenth, nineteen forty four. May fourteenth is his birthday, which all the uh, first three Star Wars and all three of the prequels came out on. Yeah, he's that guy. Hold on a second. I want to make sure Brian gets this. <sighs> <laughs> 1944, he's 76 years old. He doesn't look a day over rotund. <laughs> as I said, from Modesto, California, which is a farming community west of, excuse me, east of the Bay Area. So kind of Northern California. Interestingly enough, a little bit dusty, a little bit... Uh, Kind of like where a farm boy would have a cool speeder, but still be looking out over the weird hills, wondering if he could take over Hollywood and not turn to the dark side. Oh, wait. What do they grow on those farms? Blue milk? <laughs> we'll talk about it a little bit because he was born uh, the son of Dorothy Eleanor Lucas and George Walton Lucas Sr. Both of his parents owned a business. They owned a uh, stationery and um, printing shop in Modesto, which for... People, even our age, you didn't used to be able to just buy a birthday card at the grocery store. You had to go to an actual kind of artisan in your town and they made you one or invites or whatever. And that was the business that they ran. And so his dad and his mom were both kind of artisans as well. I feel like George himself would buy a lot of cards and say, you are not invited. <laughs> yes. And then mail them to people he didn't like. <laughs> He'd have his own, <laughs> just, this is black tie, black tie only. Yeah. 
for his birthday. You're not inviting anyone. I'm the only one who owns a black tie. So his dad wanted him. His dad was an interesting character a little bit, we should say. According to things I've read and according to the man himself, his dad was cool. His dad, though, used to be an amateur race car driver. He was an engineer. He built stuff. He loved cars and was a little bit of a Han Solo type who was suave and good-looking, and when he talked, people listened. And him and his dad had a weird relationship where they were close, but let's face it, George Sr. had a son who was a fucking nerd. So (laughs) they had a little bit of... uh, Just George ran out to the cops because his dad (laughs) shot first in that bar. (laughs) Totally. So it's interesting how when you begin to realize his life, some of these dynamics, but then also his dad wanted him to take over the stationery shop. That's what his dad wanted him to do. He built this company that was pretty successful. And he was like, I'm going into Tashi station to pick up some power converters. Like, I don't want your life. Like, um, <laughs> I didn't realize varsity blues is star Wars canon. <laughs> it's, it's so crazy how this is so meta of his goofy life. But he tells his dad, he's like, look, I want to go study anthropology. And his dad's like, okay, at least you're studying something real. Because he wanted to go to art school. He wanted to go to Berkeley. He, at least to Lucas's credit, when he was younger, was kind of involved in the San Francisco Canyon films art thing. He saw Ginsburg and stuff read in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, when he was a teenager in San Francisco. So he was kind of involved in the Northern California art movement even then and wanted to go to art school which we've never had that weird sensation before any of us uh, on this podcast. You would never want to go to film school, but to his credit. And also he was one of the first leading members of what we now call the film school generation. And there weren't even that many film schools in the country. And when he started going to USC for anthropology, he didn't even really register that there was a film school. And the whole reason he wanted to go for anthropology was he thought he could sneak in and like become a documentarian. He was like, I guess that's like an artist kind of. And then slowly but surely, he just started working with cameras and just ended up at the film school all the time where he met John Millis. And even though Steven Spielberg went to UC Long Beach, he hung out at USC a lot. And the three of them became very, very close and collaborators. And through Millis and Spielberg, he would meet a man that Nick mentioned already, a little bit older than them, named Francis Ford Coppola, who was connected already into some more art royalty. Yeah. He was selling them uh, camera lenses they couldn't get and also speed. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he was. They all needed uh, beard wax and yes. beard oil. So he had the good stuff. And that's really where his career takes off. He did a, to Lucas's credit, which he will tell you in interviews, he's very proud of this, that every student movie he made just got into festivals and won awards. But then to our credit, Uh, Nobody was doing movies in America as students. So there was like five movies that got submitted. I don't know. There's nothing like Sundance. You know, there's not everyone with an iPhone is making a feature movie. Uh, There isn't quite the level of competition. Just saying, just saying, just putting that out there. It was just Dennis Hopper all hopped up on drugs. (laughs) Feeling himself right on his bike before he crashed. Exactly. Exactly. There's uh, Yoko Ono is making a movie just of someone burping over and over again. You know, this is art. Okay, this is high art. So he makes a movie, though, that really catches the attention, not just of Hollywood, but it basically makes Francis Ford Coppola say, look, I think you're the real deal, and I want you to work for me, and I want to start a company with you as, like, second in command. He made a movie called Electric Labyrinth, THX 1138, 
for EB, which was the 10 minute short version of that movie. It did go to all the major festivals. It won a ton of short awards. It was, I mean, it's crazy. Have you ever seen the original short? It's wild. It's great. Yeah. Any things pop out at you of like, I don't know. Just like they still had the little robots. They weren't the same Mm. as the movie, but like it was a student film where like they had essentially the Robert Duvall and Donald Pleasant's character before he was in Halloween. (laughs) <laughs> I would love to go back and like oh, man. George Lucas uh, <laughs> CGI. CGI Donald Pleasance from like one of the Halloween sequels in it as like himself. For, anyways, I'm so surprised that George Lucas did not go back and CGI in like actors he liked more who are yeah. already dead. He like puts Bogart in like I, <laughs> we'll talk about his later day sins using the CGI bastard. <laughs> but yeah, no, the student film's really good. It's yeah. very well made and. It had a lot of potential that eventually he paid off and yes. then crashed and burned. It's, it's very true. There is a great rise and fall. It's almost like he started as a good Jedi, then turned to the dark side, and then kind of at the end got electrocuted and threw his emperor f- father over. I don't know where I'm going with this analogy. It didn't work. But tell you what, it kind of works because he did turn to the dark side. So also, George, if you're listening to this, these are just the opinions of Blockbuster Film School, not the personal opinions of me and Nick Souter. Uh, So please don't come with your Ninja Strike Force team and murder us. I ain't afraid of you. (laughs) I died once before. I'll do it again. I'll cuss you like a bug. But that version of THX is a big deal. It's kind of a shockwave. It, It ends up at all of the major studios, they all see it. And they say, hmm, hmm. And weirdly enough, just a few weeks before, uh, Lucas and Coppola started a company called American Zoetrope, which still to this day is Francis Ford Coppola's production company. But they started it together. And before Coppola can even really get his things like The Godfather off the ground, they're already getting offers for THX. They want THX. And so American Zoetrope, Gets them a deal. Weirdly enough, though, American Zoetrope and to Coppola's credit negotiates with a bunch of these studios and these studios, particularly Paramount, who ended up making THX, liked that and they gave him another deal. They said, we want you for a two movie deal because that was how it worked back then. They wanted to rope you in. You know, if if this movie is a success, you can't just run away. Okay, we got you for another one or another three. And they were like, what's another? You you got another weird movie, another sci-fi movie or some shit. And he was like, yeah. He's like, I got an idea. And he kind of came up, he pitched them the idea for Star Wars and they said, cool. So they signed him a two movie deal for THX and Star Wars. Well, even though the original THX comes out in 1971, it is a critical success. A lot of people liked it. It kind of had a little bit of that wild beat weirdness combined with sci-fi. He already is awesome, as you said, with like the robots and the costumes and and that goes back to kind of his dad and him who are really obsessed with cars and engines and they're really good at models and making stuff. He's got this weird thing that a lot of filmmakers don't have, which is a technical prowess. You know, there's a lot of filmmakers who are good at acting or nerds, but they're not necessarily gearheads. And George Lucas was. So they make it the original THX 1138, which has Walter Murch. Robert Duvall, and Donald Pleasance. The future is here. Nick, what is your take on THX 1138? I kind of love it. Yeah. I don't think I've liked anything he's done as much since. Interesting. I mean, Star Wars is fun, but this is dark. Yeah. And also just, 
It's so pessimistic. I love it. It's like the last time it was truly pessimistic. It's totally true. Oh, yeah. you got to use the force. There's only hope. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah. Well, what if the future's terrible? Yeah. What if the cops are robots who just hunt you like animals? <laughs> oh, no. What if the only that. food you get are fucking Zoloft? <laughs> well, actually, no. Yeah, right. actually. <laughs> uh, they got that part right. That's. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's really well made. It's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. It's very bleak, but it's also it's just really well made. Yes. And everything looks cool. It looks really cool. And it's considering that everything you're doing is just white. Yes. It's all white. And some people have like black masks. Yes. Or, or black shields over their eyes. Right. Right. But even those shields look cool. Yeah. Like that would come back like Darth Vader's mask. He realizes that kind of reflective surfaces, if made in a certain way, can look really cool on film. I think he gets that from Kurosawa. I mean, we'll talk about it. He was also, back then, a real deal student of cinema. He still is. I think that's kind of the one thing about him that I actually do think is that the guy is a nerd. He knows movies in and out. He can cite crazy stuff. Like The thing is, he can tell you every movie ever made where there's an American diner in it. That's, he really can. Also, when there's a, a Gungan, he's a different type of alien. He's a comedy alien who, uh, he's funny. He's funny, and that's not a slave black voice. It's not, I don't care what you say. So, THX 1138 is, like I said, a critical success. But financially, it does not do well. Bomb. It is a bomb. It doesn't go well. And I'm sorry, I said Paramount earlier. It was Warner Brothers that they had the two. Warner Brothers loses their shit, as Warner Brothers is like to do. And they decide. Warner Brothers, your family. (laughs) They're Olive Garden. Unlimited breadsticks at Warner Brothers. The never-ending salad bowl. Never-ending Zack Snyder bowl. (laughs) That is pretty true. That's exactly what fucking happened. You think you're done? No. Nope. Nope. You have to eat more of this. So... Warner Brothers makes a fateful mistake in which they decide to say, fuck you, American Zoetrope, which pisses off Coppola, pisses off Lucas. Coppola stops his talks with them to do the Godfather with them. <laughs> He's like, well, you don't want us? Then you can kiss my ass because he was being into talks. So then the Godfather goes to Paramount with Evans, who takes him. And Lucas goes to a guy named Alan Ladd, who would eventually become a much, uh, he would have his own company. Alan Ladd was a real interesting, cool character. Maybe one day we'll do an Alan Ladd episode. He's the guy that directed uh, Hellraiser. (laughs) That's right. He's really into BDSM and weird, hot, homoerotic violence. No, that's not true. Alan Ladd was the head of 20th Century Fox at the time, and he took shots on people. Let's put it that way. Alan Ladd would one day make Blade Runner. He, Alan Ladd liked cool, weird stuff and was a true pioneer in making interesting shit in Hollywood. And he didn't give a shit what they said. He liked THX 1138 a lot. He thought it was cool. So he decides to take a shot on George Lucas and be like, I'll honor a two-movie deal. He's like, but before we do another sci-fi movie, you got another movie? And according to legend, Lucas didn't. And then him and Coppola are sitting around getting drunk on wine. And shocker. Shocker. Giant shocker. And Coppola says something along the lines of, you're always telling me these funny, stupid stories about you driving around in high school. Like, why don't you just put those stories into one movie and make a comedy? And to Lucas's credit, he doesn't just make a comedy. He makes a movie called American Graffiti in 1973. Uh, Nick, what do you think of American Graffiti? It's fine. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan. I'd rather just watch Days and Confused. See, but there's the element I have, though. 
There is no Days and Confused without American Graffiti. There, yeah, but there there, is, in my mind, there is no American Graffiti. So <laughs> well, it that's, evens out. That's convenient. Um, it is. <laughs> I like how much mental gymnastics you have to go through to no, I not mean, like I'm George the, Lucas. <laughs> here's the thing. I could not like the movie yeah. and appreciate something else that somebody was like, you know, I could do that better. That is totally true. But I like American Graffiti. It's not the greatest one, but it has the old George Lucas look, the old George Lucas feel. He gets cool actors who at the time you'd never heard of, but he knows they're good. I'll give him credit on that. I got to say something real fast. I yeah. hate watching Ron Howard on film. Sure. <laughs> Ron Howard's not a good actor. <laughs> but the Everything guy- he's done otherwise is great. Right. Okay. You're right. Ron Howard is either love him or hate him. I, I get it. Opie. He's, he's goddamn Opie. Um, also, Arrested Development is very funny. Uh, never have to see him, though. <laughs> that is true. You don't have to see his face. <laughs> but Richard Dreyfus. In his first real big role, plays basically George Lucas in the movie. There's a guy named Harrison Ford who is a carpenter who works for him, who works for American Zoetrope, who they're like, the chicks all look at him when he's around. We should put him in that movie, which I guarantee was pretty close to what they were going for. They hire a lot of cool people. He was the only good-looking guy on set. (laughs) He's the only good guy in Hollywood at the moment who worked behind the camera. They all look like George Lucas. No joke. They did. They were like different layers of skinny and fat. But they all looked. You know the why same. he? You know why Harrison Ford looked like that? Because he smokes three joints a day his yes. entire life. Yep. He was back there making fucking carpentry shit, whatever it's called. I don't know. Yeah. Just smoking weed and being cool. Totally. Also, George Lucas needs to smoke weed. Yes. Also, I think there's an element of like when you grow up in Chicago and then move to California, and the amount of bullshit you have to put up with in Chicago, and then the amount of how much less bullshit you put up with in California if you have a good job working for the movies. And you basically see all these other wieners freaking out. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> that's what you guys are freaking out about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then he goes, I got the cure for that. And he lights up a, a Bob Marley size split. <laughs> and then he pulls out his gun and shoots that alien. Yeah. Um, but it is where he starts to work with a lot of his crew. There's a lot of cool cars. You see that he's already coming up with interesting camera techniques of what he likes to do with filming the cars in ways that people hadn't done before, filming inside of the car, filming so that it's not just a racing scene. It's a very interesting movie in a lot of ways. Also, the first three movies, he always did something that was no one had ever done before in major Hollywood or really any movies. And this one, he... For the very first time, all the music is diegetic. All the music is coming from the car radios or from the, the radios at the places they're at. All the music is diegetic. And no one had ever done that before in a Hollywood movie. And it makes an interesting effect. And now it's a thing that's around in a lot of movies. It's at least a little bit where there's diegetic music to create the scene, to create the time period. And uh, he basically did that. Um, he came up with that idea. But like you said, it's a little boring. It doesn't age as well. Here's my whole thing. Yeah. All those people died in Vietnam. It's a little depressing. <laughs> Not the rich ones. Um, <laughs> it feels a little nostalgic. Mm-hmm. I don't like nostalgia. <laughs> I don't give a shit about it. I never look back. Life is already over. We're just, you know, I'm that Sarah Connor person. Interesting. To mm-hmm. get real dark. Yeah. That's, that's why I like Daisy and Fuse better is because if you really watch it, Everybody in that is fucking miserable. Like, it is a hard shit. It, it is not a fun time for those people. I agree. I That is uh, it's an interesting take on uh, Days to Confuse. Linkletter said it himself. <laughs> I got a lot to say when we do our Linkletter episode. I would think American Graffiti has a little bit of that, too. No one knows what they're supposed to do. No one knows what they're supposed to go. And they just drive around aimlessly trying to figure out stuff. It's interesting. But I will say this. American Graffiti comes out and it is a pretty big hit. 
The studios didn't think it was going to be a hit, even though Alan Ladd really loved it. The rest of 20th Century Fox did not. They thought it sucked. They thought it was bad. They didn't even want to put it out. They wanted to put it out like on CBS, like on television. That's what they wanted to do with it. And at least Ladd fought enough where he was like, come on, come on. Like, let's put it out, see what happens. And what happens a lot, though, what's interesting was like, that's almost the exact same thing that happened to Fast Times at Ridgemont High and stuff where, shocker, a bunch of old dudes hanging around don't get the movie that's truly for teenagers. And then when it comes out, the teenagers relate the shit out of it and love it. And it becomes a little bit of a cult teenager hit. And that's exactly what happened with American Graffiti. And after that, he at least is back in the ball game because he made money. But still, people don't really trust him. But he has the deal. He's going to trust George Lucas. <laughs> which they, well, because we have to talk about this. This is the fateful moment in which George, who'd always been good, always coming up with cool stuff, a very talented filmmaker, a very already a pretty talented, he, he teams up with the best possible businessman he could team up with the time. Because also Coppola's movie, The Godfather, comes out around this time as well. And guess what? American Zotrop, back on. Now the taste of Hollywood. All of a sudden, everyone's kissing your ass. You made THX, everyone hated you, thought you were pariahs. You make The Godfather and American Graffiti. But the movie that he is pitching is bananas. He wants to make a space opera that is a space western and a space like World War II bomber movie. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Space Seven Samurai. Yeah. Right. They literally thought. Space Exorcist. <laughs> it's space Jaws. There's a lot of ideas cut out. Yes. It was, you know. I mean, it's true. You are right on all of those. But the bigger argument, I guess, was that they wanted another American graffiti. They're like, you know what the kids like. You like the, the fucking little stupid kids. You know what they like. And weirdly, they weren't listening when he was saying, I do. Yes, correct. And he says, I do know what kids like. I think they're going to like this. And they're like, yeah, they're going to like this. They're going to like, oh, what is this? A talking Sasquatch and his boyfriend flying around out of space. And he says, yes, that's that's going to work. Uh, and Alan Ladd fully this time goes to the mat, says 20th Century Fox is going to go under. Who gives a shit? Let's take it. This is a hungry kid coming up who wants to do something. And we can rip him off. We can rip him off. We can say, look, kid, this doesn't work. This is all on you. And Lucas, in one of the great turns that changes, frankly, the world, he says, okay, that's cool. But then doubles down, uses the contract of, I will not even take a salary as a director. This will be all on me. You guys don't have to risk anything. And in the contract, negotiates licensing rights. And they're like, licensing rights? And he's like, yeah, I get the licensing rights. You guys get the movie basically for free. All that happens is a flop on the budget for the $20 million or whatever you guys are going to put up on this. And there wasn't a ton of risk. The only problem was that that license deal would end up being worth billions of dollars. No joke, billions. His net worth of just his personal wealth is like $6 billion. That's not the worth of the companies that he is still chairman or head shareholder of. Now, he wanted to make a movie about Flash Gordon. He grew up not even watching television. He grew up, like I said, on kind of a farm community, make, fixing cars, building stuff. He liked movies, but didn't really get into anything other than weird serial movies that came out. And 
as he went to film school, old Akira Kurosawa movies. And he's like, what if I combine Akira Kurosawa and Flash Gordon and make a movie? And I make it in a way with himself with full of cool toys in it because I like weird mechanical toys. Flash Gordon was a serial about a space hero that originally came out in the 1950s and has been retooled a bunch of different times, but it was kind of the one of the first big space adventures that came out on film. So he was obsessed with it, wanted to do it, obsessed with Kurosawa, obsessed with Flash Gordon. It's not a big surprise that the two got combined and became Star Wars. Nick, just general take of the original Star Wars. The only... The original Star Wars is my second favorite Star Wars movie. I've, I would, uh, it's up there. I, what do you like about it? It's like, it's under two hours. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, I like Alec Guinness. I like everything in it except for Luke Skywalker being a baby. Walking around in his little karate outfits <laughs> and his fucking Uggs. Just like, I want to go here. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not such a bad pilot myself. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, that's great. Just quit doing your George Lucas impression. We want to hang out with everybody else. We want to watch the stoner guy shoot somebody. We want to watch the guy with the butt chin get his arm fucking cut off. Lasered off. We want to watch. By a world-class old British actor. Yeah. (laughs) There is, needless to say, it comes together. It's a fun movie. It is. It is. And I could only imagine... It is one of the things where if I had a time machine and someone said, you get to have one day, just one day with the time machine, going to see Star Wars in the 70s when it first came out and seeing it on film and seeing the audience reaction to it, it was, not to be too effusive, but it was like nothing anyone had ever made before. It was interesting because now you start to have the film school generation really start to make stuff. His buddy, Steven Spielberg had made jaws just two years before that was a big wild movie that changed the whole horror thriller genre, changed the whole summer blockbuster idea. And right back on it, star Wars comes out and it is the highest grossing movie of all time by leaps and bounds at the time. In 1977 money, it made, in its first year, $300 million. That's good now. Back then, movies cost a couple bucks. It was like two bucks to go to the movies. So that's a lot of people. And also, there's not exactly the big international market yet. Most of that is in America. Also, half of the audience went and saw it like six times. That's right. The nerds. Star Wars stayed in the, it was in major theaters for about a year in smaller theaters for about two years. And it was kept there because not only was it a cool movie, but George Lucas, and I think we should bring this up, went to a toy company in Cincinnati that he could, in a very similar way, no one would take his deal. Everyone thought he was a maniac for even asking all the other toy companies, Hasbro, Mattel, just like all the big studios had turned him down for Star Wars in the first place. All of them turned him down. There was a weird toy company slash soap company in Cincinnati called Kenner Toys that took a shot on him and granted with the original deal, ripped him off pretty good in the other way, where it was something like every dollar that got made off of Star Wars toys, Lucas got a nickel, Fox got a nickel, and Kenner Toys got 90 cents. So Kenner got themselves a pretty goddamn good deal. And Kenner and Lucas 
would be the bigger fight than 20th Century Fox. The second it came out was like, we're so sorry for what we did, George, for not believing you. You are now in charge of us, master. Like, all right, you don't have to do that. Okay, well, the master's nice. I appreciate, okay, that's good. So Kenner would always fight him though, always, because they had a deal, a signed deal that said, no, no, no. That's the, the deal you signed with us, clown boy. But we that this is not the toy episode. We're not going into it. But because of the toys, because of the marketing, because of the mayhem, Star Wars stuck around. Normally back then, movies came out. They were out for a couple months. Even if they were big hits, they left after that. There was no home movie market. There wasn't TV where the show would run in syndication. A movie came out and it left the theater. Because of the toys, because of the marketing, Star Wars never left America. It never went anywhere. It was always around. Even if the theater stopped showing Star Wars, when you went to Toys R Us, there was tons of the toys. You went to the regular grocery store and there were Star Wars toothbrushes. I mean, it was shit that no one had ever thought of doing with a movie before. And Lucas said, market it, do it, turn it into money, make me more powerful. I am the Sith. Ah!" Electronic bolts came out of his head like that. And it was a big deal. It was a big old deal. And I don't know, any other takes on the Ridge Star Wars? If I had a time machine, somebody offered me a time machine to go back in time in 1977 mm-hmm. to see Star Wars in theaters. Yes. I would take them up on the offer and then go see Slapshot. <laughs> yeah. I would go see the Little River Band. No. Uh. <laughs> Suspiria or Slapshot? Fair. You could see both. Yeah. I mean... Be a good day. You Depending when it got released. Depending when it released. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So after that, though, it is interesting. We have to talk about, and we'll one day have a Steven Spielberg much bigger episode, but his buddy Steven Spielberg is having an equal amount of success. Uh, maybe not exactly equal because he didn't have the merchandising contract, but almost from an artistic point, his movies are coming out and he's directing them and they're big. They are happening. Close Encounters of the Third Kind comes out. Big, big deal. Big sci-fi movie. Different than Star Wars, but all of a sudden... Hollywood has sci-fi fever and George Lucas and Steven Spielberg are the kings of it. And they happen to be really close pals. They won't work together. They've seen each other naked. They most certainly have. Absolutely. Not recently. No, but definitely. Why? I don't know though. Of like weird, like old, like Hollywood dudes who like hang out at some weird club where they're in a sauna. Like it wouldn't blow my mind. Well, here's the thing. I didn't, I didn't want to have to bring this up in the episode. (laughs) George Lucas, in the later years, has become a never nude. So when he goes to the sauna, he's wearing cut off denim shorts. Well, that yeah, that that's what I meant by him being nude. Yeah, <laughs> that's why C three PO is such a weirdo, and he has C three PO spends most of those movies just trying to find a way to cover up his nipples. <laughs> I don't understand why I feel these sexual feelings. Needless to say, 20th Century Fox basically gives him carte blanche. He is now going to make a sequel to Star Wars. That is going to happen. That is the mandate of the American people. They have, the children would riot if there wasn't going to be another one. And interestingly enough, Lucas is so busy with everything, with now running a, he leaves American Zoetrope, not on bad terms, but just as like, I have Lucasfilm now. I have my own company. He's beginning to form Industrial Light and Magic, will become very important. He's beginning to form THX, which is another company of his. But these are companies he is the CEO of. He's still the CEO of Industrial Light and Magic. And 
THX. He's still the main shareholder in Lucasfilm, even though it is now technically owned by Disney. So he basically is so busy, and maybe back before he really started doing cocaine, that he understood that he wasn't talented enough as a director all the way. I want to bring something else up real fast. Interesting, yes. He's also not a great writer. Mm. Everybody rewrote their own dialogue on Absolutely. Star Wars. Yes, yes. And also in American Graffiti, he got a lot of improvisational actors that he liked, like Dreyfus, and would kind of let them sort of flesh out the dialogue. Sadly, though, he ruled with an iron fist during the prequels. <laughs> yeah. That's Say you hate sand. <laughs> Say it. It doesn't make any sense. That's it. <laughs> You're off the collector's cup. All right. Um, so he makes a movie called The Empire Strikes Back. He produces. He, well, Lucasfilm, THX, and Industrial Light Magic make a movie. Listen, Elmore Bernstein directed it. <laughs> yes. And it is great. It's, <laughs> it's Elmore Bernstein. <laughs> uh, Lawrence Kasdan. That's what he, I said. He gets a director he likes, one who will come back, a writer they like, and he makes... Empire Strikes Back. He makes it in 1979. They have money now. They get bigger effects. They get Yoda. They get Frank Oz. They, like you said, hire writers. The whole thing comes together in a way that is unbelievable, that possibly the most impressive sequel of all time. I don't know. What's your take on The Empire Strikes Back, Nick? Empire is a masterpiece. Agreed. I hadn't seen it in like 20 years, and then the year that's, Katy Perry did the Super Bowl with the shark that didn't know how to dance. <laughs> Afterwards, they ate some mushrooms and you put on the VHS copy of it. And it is amazing. It's still amazing. I agree entirely. There's a part where a Sasquatch tries to eat Luke. You're missing out if you've never seen the, the Yeti. Thank you. That Sorry. Is no, no, I appreciate it. Thank you. As a member of the Yeti Appreciation <laughs> Club, I have to speak up for That's the so people true. I like. I've seen your tattoo. The Do not talk about my tattoo. <laughs> the Yapik. The Yeti the Yetis are us. <laughs> Their slogan is that they're not the, the not so chosen people. <laughs> Sorry, that's insane. So it's a wild, wild success. But like you said, he's taking a hiatus from directing because he's running too many companies. Hey, let's face it, we're going to talk about this. The real talent that George Lucas has is for the business side. Yeah. He's maybe the most successful artist businessman. Definitely in the history of America, he is. I can't think of... Walt Disney. Yeah, but then he died. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, George Lucas got him real good. <laughs> I mean, uh, you're right. Walt Disney's there. Although Walt Disney's a Nazi. <laughs> He was not. He just he just didn't like Jewish people and was a weird robot. That makes you a Nazi. <laughs> That's not. Neither of those are true. He wasn't an anti-Semite. He was just a dick. Fight me, Disney. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Fight me, Disney. You come at me, you old dead piece of shit. Defrost that motherfucker. <laughs> His floating head just shows up oh, in the God. house. Ah, ah. It's got laser eyes. So... Is that cat t-shirt? <laughs> um, but needless to say, The Empire Strikes Back, again, a huge hit. A bigger bigger, hit, isn't it? A bigger hit than the original Star Wars. And this time, if you were a kid who didn't know yet, if you were somebody on the fringes, it's now 
insane. Toys are everywhere. Lunch boxes, whatever. Alex, what shirt are you wearing? I'm wearing an Empire Strikes Back t-shirt, which I swear to God, I didn't. No, re- I know you didn't mean yes. to do it on purpose because it's Monday and you wear an Empire Strikes Back shirt on Monday. <laughs> it just happened. I love it. It's a good t-shirt. Okay. I like it. The Im- Also, those posters. Oh, is the original Star Wars poster is amazing that Lucas was just in charge of all of the stuff. He was like, the things that are important are not what you think, old Hollywood. You think that by being in control of this little part of the production or this part of the budget, that you are in control of what happens with the movie. But really, if I make a cool poster, I make cool ads, I make cool toys, I make cool things outside of this, even if the movie fails, it still will have a weird fan base because I saw what happened with just a little bit of the Planet of the Apes and that movie sucked and those toys sold and he knew somehow that he was on the cusp of something, that the world was changing. TV was becoming color. The kids were becoming smarter. He was at film school. He saw how many kids were coming in after him. There was a love and appreciation of movies that he was ready to, that's right, make money on. <laughs> so I feel like you're giving a lot of credit to somebody who just like saw the got lucky. the cusp of capitalism <laughs> coming to destroy the world. <laughs> or a bunch of guys who he was mad at were like, your movie's stupid. Kid. Yeah, exactly. And he was like, you know what? I'll tell you what, I'll double down. Okay, double down, double down on 11. You think my movie's stupid? You think it's stupid? We'll see, which could have gone poorly, but it didn't. He could have become Paul W.S. Anderson. <laughs> He really, although I'm pretty sure P.S. is living in like a beach house in Malibu. Yeah, I mean, he's doing, he's actually on a beach. (laughs) So we're on beach streets. (laughs) He makes Return of the Jedi after that as well. He produces it as well. Richard Marquand uh, directs it. He wanted uh, David Lynch to direct it, but David Lynch decided to go with Dune instead. That is in 1983, though. I just wanted to finish out the Star Wars. So you'd say Empire is your favorite of the first three. Yeah. And I think that's fair. I think that's fair. There's good stuff in all of them. I don't like Jedi. I like Jedi. I don't like any of the other Star Wars movies. Interesting. That's interesting. <laughs> is, it, is it because those little those little teddy bear people are upsetting to you? They're upsetting to me. They didn't eat that motherfucker. That is true. Those teddy bears were going to eat. They should have. They sh- the plot should have went. They started eating his hand and found out he was a robot. <laughs> and they're like, "Oh no!" <laughs> it was instead that their weird golden butler turned yeah. out to be their god. <laughs> Talk about capitalism at its worst. <laughs> He's made of gold. He's the best. Look, they're teddy bears. Okay, they're not that. You know, they're not Fuck even wearing, the they're not wearing pants. Fuck Teddy Ruxpin. There's <laughs> a third one there. Some hot takes. It. Got some hot, some Nick takes. I feel like I've been saying these for years. I do. I do think <laughs> you've been saying these for years. Uh, you know, I've never seen Avatar. <laughs> I've heard about this. Have you ever seen uh, Toy Story? The original. Mm. All right. So we have to talk about this unless you have any other Star Wars thoughts. No, I'm fine. <laughs> Meanwhile, I wanted to get through the Star Wars stuff first. And he's already doing this. And it, by the end of Jedi, Industrial Light and Magic is now real deal. Industrial Light and Magic is making the effects for all the big movies. THX is making the sound for all the big movies. He has found a way to worm himself into all of the movies. If you want the best effects, he hired everybody. He's got all of them. He's monopolized special effects in Hollywood. You want cool effects? You come to George Lucas. Otherwise, your effects are going to suck. That's pretty much, well, this is later, but like the 
Terminator, the Terminator 2, the robot and everything, that's industrial light and magic. You know what I'm saying? Jurassic Park, the dinosaurs, industrial light and magic. If you want good effects, if you're a good effects person, you don't go work for other companies. There's one company to work for, which is Lucasfilm and industrial light and magic. He attracts the best people who work in that side of the field. He basically unites the nerds, okay? And this is why he's still running around with billions and billions. This is why he gave $4 billion back to the California school system because he's like, I don't even need it. (laughs) It was a big fuck you to Disney and everybody. But at the same time, while the last two Star Wars movies are coming out, he teams up with a guy who dresses the exact same way as him. Creepily, this is true. But his maybe is definitely a better director than him. And they talk about how they like some of the old serials as well that were like weird jungle adventure serials about ancient temples and crazy shit, rolling boulders. And George Lucas and Steven Spielberg team up with Lawrence Kasdan, their friend, to write a movie called The Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it comes out in 1981. Nick, what do you think of Raiders of the Lost Ark? It's a good movie. It's fun. Yeah. It's great. It's very fun. What's your favorite part of Raiders of the Lost Ark? I don't remember. Uh, The part where um, (laughs) the guy, the Nazi's face melts off. It's a classic. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, my family makes video Christmas cards every year, and it's just the Nazi's face melting off. (laughs) And it says, Merry Christmas from, you know, our last names, which I don't know why I'm not going to say it. You mentioned it every episode. (laughs) So, yeah, it says Merry Christmas from the Taps. (laughs) That's interesting. It's weird. (laughs) I like that you're a split personality. You just are Brian Taps and Nick Sauter at the same time. Well, one of us has to make the noise band. That is so true. That is so true. It is his second giant franchise. Yeah. He produces a second giant franchise. And to be fair, it's not that crazy of an idea. He has this incredibly talented friend who's knocking it out of the park. He's got a ton of money and clout. And he says, Steve, what do you want to make? And Steve goes, I want to make these crazy shooting Nazis movies. And he goes, okay, let's make it. And let's put our handsome friend in it. And they get Harrison Ford. And guess what? He gets another franchise. He gets another franchise. I want to, for, uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I want to quote John Landis real fast. Mm-hmm. So John Landis talked about how these are serial movies, like you keep bringing up, but like they're all just B movies with A yes. movie budgets. Yes. They are taking the things, they're girl talk. They're mm-hmm. taking the movies they saw when they were younger. Mm-hmm. They're mixing them with something else. They're putting a lot of money in production behind it. And then they're just blowing it up. Totally. Totally. And that's the best possible way to put it. That is absolutely what they did. And once again, something I appreciated about it as a kid when I watched them was that these movies are movies that kids would think are cool, but they never talk down to you. They never are how a lot of quote unquote kids movies are where you know that they're stupid and they're just made. They're not the Mighty Ducks. I'm sorry. I apologize to the Mighty Ducks movies. But don't apologize to them. I don't. I, I, the I'm Mighty Ducks really. movies have had it too good for too long. <laughs> but they're, you know, they're not cheesy kid crap. They're movies that everybody can like. And if you like seeing Nazis get their face melted off, if you like seeing a Sasquatch shoot a stormtrooper with a laser crossbow, you can like these movies. It doesn't matter how. You can be 100 years old. You can be five years old. It's dope. So Raiders of the Lost Ark comes out 
is a massive success. This comes out in 81. So he puts out Empire in 80, Indiana Jones, a.k.a. Raiders of the Lost Ark, 81. He puts out Return of the Jedi, 83. And then they make Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in 84. Now, we're going to talk about Temple of Doom, but you start to see some cracks in the facade of Lucas starting to be a little weird (laughs) with... He's at height of hubris now. Yeah. What do you think of Temple of Doom? It's the Jedi of the three, <laughs> without a doubt. I would say Jedi is way better. Uh, it's less racist. It involves less child slavery. Yeah. I don't know. It's so weird. It's like it's like they wrote the movies and they made the better movie first. And then they're like, we're going to go back and put out this racist piece of shit with the guy. Is this the one where a guy pulls his heart out of the chest? Absolutely. Yeah. Kaliba. Kalima. That's racist. And it opens with Alfred <laughs> Molina dying, right? No, that's Raiders. Okay. Yes. Uh, my f- okay, I want to go back. My favorite part <laughs> of any movie is Alfred Molina. Um, even though his character Throw is, me the whip. Yeah. His character's kind of racist, too. Which one are we talking about? Temple of the Doom? Yes. Yeesh. <laughs> Monkey brains. Uh, there's... Like you said, you bring up an element that will be a bit of a problematic thing with Lucas and his ability to understand race in movies or just not, I don't know, coming at it from a weird hillbilly Modesto, California perspective. He didn't really evolve (laughs) socially and politically the right speed that he just became a businessman. Yes. So everything is just like, he's some hick farm boy Mm -hmm. whose dad is making semi-racist. I don't know if it's true or not, you know, invites to a whites only, (laughs) like it says white tie only, but it's like, everybody knows uh, you know, so it's weird. <laughs> I like that we're bad mouthing his dead dad. We have no idea. But listen, George Senior, if you're listening, <laughs> I don't know how you're dead. Temple Doom, though, still a big hit, still a big financial hit. They cut out all of Dan Aykroyd's scenes, which is interesting. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd's briefly in it in the beginning. His scenes are cut out. Yeah. I would like to give that movie more credit then. Steven Spielberg's wife is in it. She has a singing dance number to open the movie. Which I yeah. Feel it's interesting stuff. He has a Asian side boy Robin character in it. Short round. No time for love. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Jones. <laughs> also, we need to bring up the fact Indiana Jones is a terrible archaeologist. He's also a terrible teacher. Absolutely. This He's clearly banging his students. The only time he feels alive is when there's a Nazi barreling down on him in a yeah. fucking airplane, he, and him and his dad, who banged the same Nazi, <laughs> not at the same time, because that'd be weird, have to defend themselves against it. He is an adrenaline junkie with addiction problems mm-hmm. that no one addresses. He's more addicted to speed than Tony Stark's addicted to alcohol. No one's bringing it up. <laughs> we will get it, because you're bringing up some interesting stuff, okay? We'll, we'll get to that movie in a second. But that element of... Possibly his relationship with actually with his dad. It's not necessarily a Luke Darth Vader thing. It possibly was much more of a Harrison Ford, Sean Connery kind of thing where yeah. it's like, I can out adrenaline you old man. Oh, really? You think you can out adrenaline me boy? Like, <laughs> well, I don't think it's like that. I think his dad just more of like a dopey. Everything's going to work out fine because I have all the knowledge. And then he's all like, he's all street smart, which in that time was, I guess, Jumping from train car to train car, defeating (laughs) young Nazis. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. George Lucas has a very different stoned alter ego. Yes. 
that doesn't match up with his own at all, and he doesn't realize it. Yes. And that's the main problem with the characters he writes, is that someone has to reel them in and be like, George, stop it. But he cannot be reeled in. He cannot be stopped. His hair and beard somehow are getting more perfectly aligned. (laughs) They are becoming a weird white pompadour, and he is gating in power. And I would imagine speed and cocaine. There are a lot of stories of speed and cocaine beginning to enter the frame for Mr. Lucas at this time period, which it's the 80s, and he's at the top of the game, and he lives in Hollywood. So this is not shocking to anyone. Indiana Jones is a big hit during the 80s, before we talk about the last Indiana Jones movie. He produces what is wild, as Brian mentioned. He produces two Ewoks movies, Ewoks Caravan of Courage and Ewoks Battle for Endor, the best one with uh, Wilford Brimley in it (laughs) that I watched a bunch as a child, which is really kind of dark and scary. (laughs) He also produced Jim Henson's Labyrinth. He produced Don Bluth's The Land Before Time. So, and if you ever notice, any of those movies that had a ton of, oh, I don't know, Pizza Hut collector puppets or something like that, George was right there saying, hey, what if we made some money off this with some toys? And... He had some unsuccessful projects, though, in the 80s. Go on. This is where things take a little bit of a turn of him being an artist. Yeah. His biz going great. Lucasfilm merchandise going great. Like we talked about, ILM and THX are the toast of the town and everybody wants them. But George and his personal projects, it takes a little bit of a downturn, including more American Graffiti which he didn't write or direct, but produced, which came out in 1979 and was uh, about Vietnam. And he basically wanted to make another movie to help out all those actors from American Graffiti who didn't get to be in Star Wars. He felt like he owed it to them. It didn't work. A guy named Willard Hick, yep, who uh, wrote American Graffiti with him, who would later disappear for a while, made a movie called Howard the Duck. God damn it. Now, we have to talk about this for a second. In 1986, Howard the Duck. Nick, what do you think about Howard the Duck? This is oddly one of the memories I have very distinctly buried in my mind. <laughs> my he, he tries parent- to bang Leah Thompson. <laughs> so weird. My parents were like, Went out to dinner. They went to some party, so they were gone. So my grandparents watched us. It's like that fucking Nirvana song. But instead of whatever they have in that, uh, there's no ice cream. My parents rented Howard the Duck for us, and we watched it with my two grandparents from Italy who, between the four of us, no one knew what the fuck was going on for different reasons, <laughs> but it was all just because of the movie. Yeah. The language barrier was never a thing for them. But I just rem- I remember being a small child and going... What, what are we watching? Do we have to finish this? <laughs> but no, no one knew how to stop the VCR. We would oh, put the God, tape in. We put the tape in. It would play, and then it would rewind and come out when it was done. And nobody knew anything in between. <laughs> I feel your pain. I honestly, as you were saying, it was having PTSD flashbacks of watching it. And look, Leah Thompson looks super hot in it. Okay, that happens. But then it becomes weird because she has a sexual relationship with a duck. And that's the best thing that happens in the movie. (laughs) Ducks are women, right? Mallards are male? Yes. No, no, they're all ducks. 
Okay. But I think it's mallards and hens. But I, I see what you're saying. I don't want to go too heavy into Howard the Duck, but they show that he lives on a duck planet where there are female versions of his, like, duck race in their duck planet, and everything has duck puns, versions of our world, right? Where instead of a movie called Splash, starring Tom Hanks, there's a movie called Splish or something, I don't know, starring Tom Quacks. It is that, and it's rough, okay? <laughs> it's rough. It's unwatchable. It has... Child Molester Rooney, Principal Rooney in it as the bad guy. It's the biggest flop of Lucas's career by a mile. It costs $37 million to make. That's just production budget, not how much they put into the marketing and everything. And at the box office, it made $30 million. It probably altogether lost somewhere like $100 million. It was a fail. Like I said, his buddy Willard, Willard Hewick, his childhood friend, just kind of ran off after it disappeared for a while. Was like, I'm out of here, man. I made Howard the Duck. I'm a failure. <laughs> Which he was right. After that, I have a soft spot for it because I saw it in the theater as a child. I don't know really how good a movie it is, truly. But then 1988, he makes a movie called Willow. He teams back up with his old friend, your personal favorite, Mr. Ron Howard, Opie himself. Ron Howard was already becoming a director, like Splash, uh, was already becoming a successful director, Cocoon, and he desperately wanted to make a Star Wars movie. But Lucas was like, I don't want to make Star Wars movies anymore. I'm done making Star Wars movies. So him and Ron Howard decide they're going to make another movie. They're going to start another franchise, a fantasy franchise. They were a little early. I mean, Warwick Davis is awesome. It has one of Nick's favorite Batman in it. Uh, George Clooney. <laughs> it has Val Kilmer in it. Oh, okay. It has uh, it has Kevin Pollock in it as a weird fairy. It it doesn't make any sense. Nick, what do you think of Willow? I never watched the whole thing. I don't. I don't care. That's. <laughs> I don't like fantasy films. I've heard this about you. Yeah, I. You're upset by just watching it. Like I like Warwick Davis. I do too. And all in there. Okay. All right. I have a soft spot for Willow. There's some crazy, they start with a bunch of witches trying to sacrifice a baby. It's bizarre. And And somehow I still don't like it. It's, it's really (laughs) strange. I do like the princess's cool skull helmet in it, but it does not work. It does not turn into a franchise. Big surprise. He also produced his buddy Coppola's Tucker, the man and his dream. Did you ever see that, Nick? I clearly remember watching that as a yeah. child. Yeah. What did you think of Tucker, the man in his dream? Cheeseball, but I like any movie where the hero dies in the end. <laughs> spoiler alert. Oh, uh, sorry. Spoiler. No. I, is that Bo Bridges? That is the real deal. That's Jeff. Okay. Bo the, Bridges is in it, though. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So is Joan Allen. Brings Joan yeah. Allen in a lot of his stuff. Martin Lando. Uh, Dean Stockwell. <laughs> I love Dean Stockwell. I do, too. What's it's, he up to? Is he dead? He's probably dead. Dean? Is Dean Stockwell dead? Come on, Dean, don't be dead. Nope. Born 1936, 84 years old, lives in Los Angeles, California. Good for him. Yes, Way to go. Yes. So it's Tucker, man of his dream, not a big hit. Coppola also on the down in the late 80s. Coppola's been down forever. <laughs> well, he, he made, never made that comeback. He made the right choice where he said after Apocalypse Now, he's like, I want to just have a vineyard. No, That's he what I'm good at. no, 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 no. We're gonna do this now, right now. I'm gonna All right, let's do it. I'm gonna attack Coppola for no goddamn reason. He made that fucking one movie, Jack. 
No, he did. <laughs> he made that one movie. He has two heart attacks on the set of Apocalypse Now and decides to take all his money and put it into some fucking movie that was the biggest bomb of the decade. It bankrupt Zoetrope. And then he's like, well, I got wine. So he makes the Cotton Club. For $60 million, it makes 25 Ugh. Completely banks her up Zoetrope. And then he's just like, eh, I got wine. <laughs> I think I'm done now. <laughs> yeah. Until they make the Rainmaker. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Dracula made some money, but. Yeah, but not yeah, enough. Not enough. No. no, agreed. That would kind of be the end of Lucas and Coppola really working together. But it wouldn't end Lucas's weird stuff all the way. The animation studio Pixar was founded in 1979 as the Graphics Group. It was one-third of the computer division of Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm had its own computer division. It would eventually form into an entire CGI side that we would use, not we, well, everyone, that Hollywood would use altogether. Even though Pixar itself ended up getting bought by Steve Jobs for next to nothing in 1986, that would piss George Lucas off because he sold it too soon. It was losing money, but he himself understood the power of computer graphics and what it could do with movies. Well, he didn't quite understand because he thought he could make good movies with it, but he was incorrect on that. But he did, as a businessman, understand that there was something about this. And the fact that Steve Jobs bought it and turned it into something, and by the mid-90s he was pissed because now it was a big money maker, and it was one of the few times that he had kind of screwed up in his choices as a business owner. And I think the selling of Pixar has more to do with the prequels than anything else. A secret George Lucas thing, he was pissed that he had sold out too soon. He had not given it enough time. He himself wanted computer graphics to become a thing so that he could make the Star Wars movies he wanted him to make. Man, when you hear him, though, it is infuriating where he talks about how characters like puppets and people in masks and people in costumes was somehow not good, that it was bad, that the entire soul of the movies he made that were actually awesome, he thinks that was bad. He thinks that I couldn't do my Star Wars movie the way that I wanted. Yeah, people were saving your ass, motherfucker. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it's, like, disturbing that it's, like, you lucked into this? You backed into this? That's he even, fell ass backwards into money. That's so crazy. That's so, that that he, if he would have had his druthers, like, C-3PO would have been, like, a CGI Jar Jar Binks bunch of bullshit. But he couldn't do that, so he had to have a guy in a costume that everyone loves and loves the costume, but no, he hated it. It didn't look exactly like he wanted in his head. You know, that was basically his reaction to it. So let's just jump ahead. He decides after a 15-year hiatus from directing where he's been producing and with some hits, some Indiana Jones and some big-time fails that he's going to do something else. Now, we do have to toss out that he has one big producing win in the 89-90, where he teams back up with Steven Spielberg. This time, Steven Spielberg says, you got to do Temple of Doom with your stupid ideas, and it was dumb. I'm going to do a Steven Spielberg Indiana Jones movie. About killing Nazis. <laughs> about killing Nazis. Let me tell you, brother, about business having, is a boomer. <laughs> about having you and your dad having sex with the same Nazi. It's going to be a whole thing. And it was called Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and uh, it's pretty good. 
It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm. I don't care what part I walk in on. If it's on HBO, if oh, it's yeah. on USA, if it's on Telemundo in fucking Spanish, because I've seen this in three different languages. <laughs> you have not lived until you saw Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in Italian on Rye TV on Christmas Day. <laughs> Let me tell you, this movie is perfect. It is. It is. I love Last Crusade, and I feel like it's the last time that Lucas really was a good producer. I mean, he liked River Phoenix. He wanted River Phoenix. It's the one thing I heard of the whole thing where he wanted River Phoenix to be young Harrison Ford. He thought that was who he was. He was perfect for it. It was amazing. And RIP River Phoenix. Yeah. But he didn't realize River Phoenix was some heavier stuff than Harrison Ford ever touched. (laughs) That's true. Harrison Ford only likes to crash his experimental planes. Yep. And somehow survive. After that, though, things get a little hairy in the Lucas world. Still making a ton of money. They create Lucas Arts, the video game side. Guess what? Star Wars video games make some money. <laughs> and that uh, they continue to make a new computer graphics division of Lucasfilm, not Pixar. Pixar making big bucks with, you know, Toy Story and stuff. And Lucas is, mm, this should be my money. My. So he's upset about that. So he decides that he will make a bigger and better computer graphics division of Lucasfilm and ILM. And in order to test it out, he understands there's diminishing returns on the marketing, the merchandising, which is where the real money is made. Kids, uh, Spaceballs, Spaceballs, the lunchbox. So he decides that he's going to re-release the original movies into theaters. But he's going to fuck them up. (laughs) He's going to make them special edition. In which, did you ever want to see a scene in which Jabba the Hutt walked around behind Han Solo in the first movie and it didn't make any sense? Did you want to see that, guys? Too bad, because you're gonna. Too bad. Did you ever see? want to see a Jawa go, ooh, ooh, and fall over? It's hilarious. The fuck is that? Ootini. That's uh, Jawa. And um, it's hilarious, you guys. It's... Oh, it's so, you're just, it's a laugh riot. Here's the thing, though. Mm-hmm. Also, the last time we watched THX 1138, yeah. it was not the film. No. Because we can't find it. It was the director's cut. Totally. With all this terrible CGI bullshit. <laughs> he is the evil empire. He yes. has too much money uh-huh. and too much time. He's Randolph Hearst going back <laughs> and changing newspapers yes. so that fucking Hitler wins. But if I knew then, that the special editions were going to tap out mm. and like the last thing you can watch before he went back and put Hayden Christensen <laughs> in return of the Jedi. <laughs> That's even later. That's later. Cause he just doesn't stop fucking with it. No, he, he's like, you know what? I it's mean, it's never right. I mean, I'm going to do the impression now. I'm going to yeah, take it real fast. You know what? I made three terrible prequels. I'm going to go back and ruin the one with the fucking kids. <laughs> exactly. You are. You like little bears? You won't now. You uh, oh. And not just small gay hairy men. Yes. I'm talking about little Ewoks. The, and then it infected a bunch of other people. He got Spielberg to do it for a little while, the E.T. Oh my God. And it, then Spielberg was like, this is fucking stupid. Yes. I'm done with the cocaine, George. And he went back and <laughs> put the shotguns back. We're never done. <laughs> he pulls out a knife. <laughs> Also, what? I'm sorry. No, I'm just, I'm stuck on the idea of just like nerdy, gay, hairy men being called Ewoks now. Mm-hmm. 
Because, like, if you're just a small hairy man, you're a cub. Yeah. But if you're an Ewok, you're a fucking nerd who's covered in hair. And you're into survivalist stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine with this. I think they are, too. We speak for... All the Ewoks. <laughs> All the Ewoks of America. Also, he gets divorced in 87. We didn't bring this up. And it cost him a lot of his personal fortune. So there's also that. Pixar was messed up. He lost his money in the divorce. Star Wars merchandise is not bringing in the same money. Yeah. In the divorce, though, he got to keep her last name, which is weird. <laughs> so she had to go change her name from something other than Lucas or her original. He kept the rights. He kept all the merchandising rights to his wife. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> He, after that, Star Wars is still making money. There's still books. There's still all kinds of extra stuff. Like I said, video games, toys. Let's touch on that for a second. Yep. The Star Wars universe by the 90s. Was huge. Is huge. There's all these books and the magazines and the video games and all this stuff. And like, I think that pissed him off more than anything because at that point, the Ridge Tridge were a stepping stone mm. for something grander that he like could not deal with. Yes. Yes, agreed. Oh, he hated Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. He hated that he was not fully the one that they said was the genius all the time, which is preposterous. I know. But Leonard Bernstein is a better director. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's very possible. He basically then decides... He's going to come back with Star Wars. He's going to bring it back, and he's going to punch it in the face of America, and you're going to like it. And I will say this. As a kid, he did it smart in the initial element. Because before even the special editions come out, a new line of toys called Power of the Force, which are also small, also cool, very collectible, they come out. There hadn't been a new Star Wars line in like a decade. I liked it a lot. I thought it was cool. I collected it. A lot of people did. He fully understood what the nerds wanted this time around. He registered exactly the kind of thing. It made a ton of money. Everybody was primed. Everybody liked Star Wars. They wanted it again. And then the announcement that it would be back in the theaters was big. That was a couple of cool summers in the 90s where Star Wars was back in the movie theaters. Of course, there was the special edition problem in which... uh, a lot of it was stupid. A lot of it was a CGI sex worker. Yes. Doing a dance that made no fucking sense. No, there's a musical. There's basically a musical number added to each of the movies for no apparent reason other than hubris, I guess. Yeah, I mean, be. it's hilarious because this is a man who clearly has no rhythm. <laughs> I'll do a, whatever dance I like. I like all the different he tunes. like a fucking slinky. Which do you guys like the Shondells? Is that cool now? Am I hip? All right, so those movies come out. They make a bunch of money, though. The the re-release special editions, I saw them. I got the Taco Bell Collector's Cups. That's literally where the joke here at Blockbuster Film School comes from. They were a big deal. And in that moment, he's obviously planning it. Part of what we were talking about, though, with the expanded universe, all the books, the comics, all the stuff, TV shows, blah, blah, blah. He always says, you're not allowed to touch the past. You can do stuff, sequel stuff. I'm never going to make the sequels. I don't care. The past, though, you don't mess with. I have an idea for what I want to do of the story of the rise and fall of Darth Vader, which is, back then, for us old enough, was interesting and very fascinating because there's lots of hints in the original Star Wars about the past, but they're subtly done. People bring them up maybe a little bit. They're not heavy-handed and stupid and full of racist CGI characters. You don't think that's what it's going to be, 
But guess what? The end of the 90s, in 1999, George Lucas returns to directing and directs one of the greatest movies in the history of mankind, if you are a moron and think movies that are bad are good. It is called Episode One, The Phantom Menace. How stupid is that name? A, B, uh, Nick, what do you think of Episode One? The Phantom Menace. I have to be up early for work, so I'm just going <laughs> to cash out. I liked Star Wars as a younger person. Yes. You know, it was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, you uh, like a Star Wars? No, stop it. We're better than that. <laughs> let Kevin Smith do that in his fucking podcast. <laughs> the formerly fat fuck. So it's just still making by Cheerio Line seats. Anyways, I just hate directors, don't I? Mm-hmm. So. I remember liking Star Wars, and then I, like, at some point found out that John Carpenter made Halloween for 375000 And I was like, oh, I hate special effects. And, like, that was it. And I've become whatever the fuck <laughs> like I am now. That doesn't make any sense. But it does. Because <laughs> okay. you can make a movie for so little. Right. I can make a movie. I appreciate your indiness. I yeah. do. I appreciate your DIY. I but I was like, all right, I want to see a fucking another Star Wars movie. I'll go check it Everybody out. And I remember... Does. The day it was released, I'm sitting in my algebra class because, of course, the algebra teacher is going to want to use book. Who's going to see Star Wars this weekend? And me and one other fucking loser raised their hand. Like, he's like, yeah, he's like, all right, let's all go see it. And then on Monday morning, we'll come back and we'll talk about it. We're all excited. (laughs) So we all went and we saw the movie. And then we came back on Monday and we're sitting there and the teacher comes in. He goes, do you guys see it? We're like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what do you think? Uh, the the car chase was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The car chase, and it's like, so you want to never bring it up again? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was it. That's... And that was it. And then I didn't see those other two fucking pieces of shit until <laughs> this fucking J.J. Abrams came out. And then you played all the movies in a row at once. And I was just sitting that in was... our apartment. I didn't even want that. Someone else wanted that. I know, but we I blame still... them. <laughs> Blame them, fine. Because we, I, I remember watching the second and the third prequels with you. Yes, I was like, I kept looking. Someone else made this, right? This is a joke. No, this is a joke. This no. is terrible. We can just go into all of them because episode one, the Phantom Menace. Is there a phantom who menaces? Guess who it is? It's the Emperor. Get it? What a big twist! What a big twist! He's a phantom menace that you know about from three movies before. This is how this is the He's kind of alive in it. This is the kind of twist this guy comes up with. This is it's uh, also he's a little kid. He's a little kid now. Why? And uh, he's upset with Sam. Fucking why? And uh, he's a little wiener. He's a little wiener boy. And uh, like me, you when take I was a kid. Natalie Portman, an Oscar winner, <laughs> and you take you McGregor. Yes, who's a gonna right. who's amazing? It's you yes. and McGregor. Yes, and you take these two people mm-hmm. and you go, hey. I'm going to write you the most non-dialogue dialogue oh ever where you're a Jedi <laughs> senator, like weird, like right. rabbi. And you're going to have to act against a little kid, a racist CGI character and the guy from Taken <laughs> for two and a half hours. Yes. The only cool scene in this movie is there's a dude with a double in, lightsaber. There's a dude with a double lightsaber <laughs> who let's face it is in blackface and He's black red face. Black red face. And then that's in the middle of the movie. Oh, that's the end. Well, he's around. He's around. He doesn't have any lines, though, because George doesn't know how to write anything for any cool no. characters. Okay, here's the thing. Phantom Menace 
is bullshit. <laughs> and that's the best bullshit we would get out of three. Yes, yes, you're right. Phantom Menace is the best one. It's like saying it's the best STD. You are correct. They are trash. They are diseases upon mankind. Episode one, episode two, episode three. Progressively gets worse. Super producer Brian Tepps thinks that the Phantom Menace is the worst one, but I made the argument that Attack of the Clones is named Attack of the Clones. That's what you came up with. With all of your marketing teams and all of your mystique of Star Wars, Attack of the Clones, which sounds like a ska album, is the stupidest movie I've ever seen in the history of my life. That is not a joke. It doesn't make any sense. The pain deep inside of Hayden Christensen and everyone else's eyes is they have to say these lines and then blue screen fight nothing the entire time. The entire movie is blue screen. The entire movie. The CGI infected into Lucas like the cybernetic stuff invader and turned him into a cybernetic emperor douchebag. He ruined this awesome thing that he had made. I know I'm old man fanboy, but I don't know. I am not old man fanboy. I'm just old. <laughs> He's always been a douchebag. He will always be a douchebag. He took... You can come on the show, George. We love you. We would love to talk to you. I'll fucking fight you too. <laughs> Pay me. Anyways, he's always been a douchebag. He takes these little creatures like Jake Lloyd and Hayden Mm. Christensen and thinks he can make them stars because he did it once before and he can't. And then meanwhile, Hugh McGregor has to eat a big bag of shit for three fucking movies as he carries these terrible pieces of shit. Tries to carry. Tries to carry. (sighs) Makes a valiant attempt. He's like the dog that tries to swim across the river with an entire... (laughs) tree branch in his mouth thinking he can do it oh my god and he drowns. i have the higher ground <laughs> it's like what we had to watch that dog drown <laughs> if the best thing you can do in three movies is murder a bunch of children you've made some bad movies imagine imagine the idea of you have these three movies that are beloved and they are kind of mysterious and kind of spooky and kind of mystical, and they're a whole different thing. They're something else. And you decide that actually what people would actually like to see is is if I explained everything down to the microbial level of every mystery. Oh, you know who built Uh, C-3PO? Darth Vader. Why? Why did, and then why wouldn't... Because there's only two characters in the universe. (laughs) Why would he build C-3PO? That doesn't make any sense. Why... (laughs) Why would he give it to Anakin's actual brother? Why would he give Luke to his actual brother? Why would he do that? Wouldn't he figure it out? I don't understand. The whole thing is the stupidest. George Lucas ran out of ideas in 1977. Mm. Everything else, he's been girl talking. You know who's been there to fix it? Actors. (laughs) Others. There's been actors. (laughs) There's been producers. There's been Steven Spielberg for a lot of it. Steven Spielberg. Wives. Some of them were his editors. Some of them were his wives. They were his editors. (laughs) Steven Spielberg is like that one friend who keeps drinking with you, but stops you from drinking yourself to death. (laughs) The prequels was his leaving leaving Las Vegas. Yes, but there is one problem. I love your analogy. But we have to also bring this up. In 2008, Lucas and Spielberg get back together. 
they get the gang back together to make a shitty version of their other franchise. Please don't ruin this one. Oh, no, no. Because we got to make Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I've never seen this movie. <laughs> but I've seen other old man Spielberg movies. Yes. And I feel like at this point, ever since Munich, Spielberg's been like, you know what? I'm just going to show up. <laughs> and we're going to shoot some scenes. And I'm going to go home. Is Tom Hanks here? He'll carry it. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, do your Tom thing. Tom, we need you to be Harrison Ford's son. Oh, you can't do it? Why not? We'll shoot around your schedule. Fine. The, we'll get Shia LaBeouf. Oh, my. Well, look, no beef on Shia, no beef on Karen Allen, no beef on Harrison Shia Ford. LaBeouf's a piece of shit, so beef on him. Okay, fine. But in the movie, I'm saying, these people are trying desperately. So is Spielberg. I don't understand. It literally is the power of Lucas not knowing how stories work anymore. And he bankrolled the whole thing. Yeah. He paid for the whole thing. He's like, I am in charge. I know what I'm doing. I'm saving this just like I saved episode one, two, and three, the greatest Star Wars movies of all time. It is insane how his mind because also when you hear him talk about it now he thinks because and this is the weird dark element of all of star wars now and now has become dark that episode one two and three made lots of money diminishing He's returns a narcissist asshole fucking yes jerk off yeah. <laughs> that's all it is yes he will manipulate his mind and his reality yes. to whatever oh. keeps him george lucas right the director of star wars like a sith like he turned to the dark side, like he became the corporate shills of Hollywood that he hated so much. It was yeah. like, I'm going to teach you a lesson. He's Hollywood the evil empire. Shills. Yes. The meta-ness of him becoming the thing that he hated, you know, that that's the story of Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. It's know? like that old saying, you either die a hero yes. or you direct Attack of the Clones. <laughs> Also, oh shit one last thing about crystal skull like yes. i said i've never seen it i will never watch it but i will say without hesitating that is kate blanchett's worst movie oh absolutely also it doesn't look the nazis as bad guys okay definitely the thuggy in india as bad guys it's like possibly weird very weird but at least pretty much universally like in india people were like the thuggy are weird that, that was kind of like a weird nazi moment they had the nazis are the nazis when they made the soviets the bad guys it was like the cold war was strange but was that how the soviets behaved were they trying to steal crystal skulls I have no idea. I don't, think I don't so. know. It just right, but it's not a. Th oh, so isn't this the movie where Harrison? It's nonsense. This is the movie where Harrison Ford survives a nuclear blast yes. by getting into a refrigerator. Into a refrigerator, which is kids. If a nuclear blast happens, get into your refrigerator. Yeah, because and then you get trapped inside like that one movie and you <laughs> die. It is, dude. There's a part where Shia LaBeouf eight times pulls a switchblade on somebody. He just pulls a switchblade knife. And I'm like, that's kind of hardcore, just pulling a knife out. Never does anything. Just just a wiener with a knife out. And I was like, what is that? Why? Wiener with a knife out is George <laughs> Lucas's porno tape. <laughs> uh, we did not talk about the Star Wars holiday special. We will not mention that, in which George Lucas lost his mind. But if you ever want to check that out, you get to watch Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill be drunk as shit during the entire thing, which is choice it's very bad b arthur is funny in it b arthur is always funny though that's true while we're winding this down before we get to the wall 
Uh, In quotes this time. Yes. And I'm, people are like, what? And the 10-year-olds who are listening to this, what about the sequels? Well, I'll tell you about the sequels. In 2012, Kathleen Kennedy, who had been a long time Spielberg cohort, had executive produced a lot of the Indiana Jones movies, had been and a- Pulp Fiction. Yes. Had been a big champion of a lot of different people, particularly though George Lucas and Steven Spielberg for her entire career. She came up in Jersey Films with Danny DeVito. Yes, yes. And so- She eventually becomes a big, big dog at Disney and brings a deal to George Lucas for Lucasfilm to sell effectively Lucasfilm itself and its rights, its movie rights to Disney. And for the second time in his career, George Lucas bamboozles (laughs) Hollywood. They think he's done because of how stupid his movies are, but he... Basically, and I don't even know how any of this is legal, because after you brought it up on one of the other parts, I was looking into this, and it basically is, it's less of a contract and more that George Lucas sold Lucasfilm to Disney, and they said, dope. And he would still get to hold all of the, kind of, he'd be executive producer, he'd still be consulted on all the Star Wars stuff, he still holds the majority of rights for the licensing he still is kind of the czar of Star Wars, but now Disney is in charge, he doesn't really have to do it. But slowly but surely, George Lucas has bought back all of the stock of Lucasfilm. So <laughs> he is the main shareholder of Lucasfilm. So if Disney were to say falter, he could buy it at a much lower price if you wanted to. So he has basically, <laughs> he's waiting. He has a net in case they fail. If not, he still just makes whatever money he gets out of that crazy deal. And like I said, He sold Lucasfilm to Disney for $4 billion. Just Lucasfilm, just the Star Wars rights, and the Indiana Jones rights. And then he took the $4 billion and gave it to the California school system as a, do you see what I'm doing? Do you see what I just did? Do you see how much this money means to me? It means nothing. It means nothing. And I could buy and sell you as much as I fucking want. Like, and it's like, okay, After that, they make uh, some sequel trilogies. Uh, The first Abrams one is okay. The other two are crap. Eh? So the first one, you know, it was on edibles. It was fine. It was Star Wars karaoke. I tapped out after Rogue One because I thought that was fucking terrible. I will say. I haven't seen any other ones. To the credit, though, I've had some hope recently. I liked Solo. I liked that Ron Howard came back and made a really good Star Wars movie with Solo and Jon Favreau. You did it with Marvel. They brought you in for Star Wars. And The Mandalorian is the coolest thing that they've made in Star Wars in 30 fucking years. I've never seen it. I'm probably not going to watch it. I'm going to see say this again. I don't like Star Wars. I don't like George Lucas. I don't give a shit. Anyways. I appreciate your contrarianness, but The Mandalorian is dope. Grogu is the man. Sorry. I mean, it's... you watch it, enjoy it. I don't care. <laughs> I just don't give a shit. I won't like things that are good. I'm just I don't know. Everything I like is good. <laughs> I just, I'm not going to go watch some fucking Baby Yoda bullshit. Dude, Baby Yoda's the man. You don't talk shit about Baby Yoda that way. I'll talk shit about whoever I want. (laughs) Grogu has saved my faith in humanity. (laughs) That is not a joke. George Lucas has been nominated for 44 Academy Awards. That's a lot. How many has he won? Uh, Like three. (laughs) No, a lot lot of the technical awards. Industrial Light Magic and DHX win a lot of awards. And he gets one because... He owns the company. He still owns those two companies. Those two companies not slowing down anytime soon. But yeah, that's uh, 
That's where we are now. George is rich. He's still secretly in charge of Lucasfilm. <laughs> Although, to his credit, he is not, like, showing up to demand that John Favreau not be good at movies. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's still... He's making that money off of Baby Yoda merchandise, so keep it going, John, which I guarantee... I, I wonder if he registered how bad the reception was for the the prequels. I also blame Rick McCollum, who produced those. He was his yes man. In the original ones, there were at least some studio people who said, hey, well, I don't know. That sounds kind of stupid. That sounds like a stupid idea. There were at least some people challenging him, making it a little better. The original one, there wasn't uh, an Obi-Wan Kenobi and a Han Solo separate characters. They were the same character. The studio said, hey, what if there's a handsome young guy who's a rogue pirate character and there's an old wizard guy? And and he's like, fine. Like, ah, oh, if only there was a CGI pod race with a child in it like I always wanted. Like, <laughs> so that happened. George Lucas is the worst filmmaker we've ever done in this show. <laughs> Slash, maybe the most important, though. I don't You know. I mean, the I guy. <laughs> I whatever he did or whatever he's done, it's cool he donated $4 billion. Yeah. But he did it out of spite. So he shouldn't get as much credit for that as he deserves. I didn't do it out of spite. And <laughs> he's also, he's just sort of. I did it because of my, the love in my heart for children. George Lucas has no heart. Oh, it's just a pile of money that keeps beating and pumping coins <laughs> through his blood. I had ILM build me a new one. Um, all right. So this time for the Blockbuster Film School Dumpster. Excuse the dumpster factor. All right, Nick. Uh, just if you had to pick one of the choices, the one that you hate the most, the one that stands out to you as the mega fail. I want to say Phantom Menace because of Jar Jar. Oof, it is bad. But considering how terrible and open everyone is about their racism in this country, <laughs> it doesn't really add up to as much as it's worth anymore mm. because Jar Jar didn't storm the Capitol. <laughs> he did or not. Or George Lucas didn't storm the Capitol. But <laughs> what was the third one? He's too rich. What was the third prequel called? It was called Revenge of the Sith. In which I, I want to put that in the dumpster twice because <laughs> not only did they kill Natalie Portman, mm -hmm. not only did they think Hayden Christian can, can act again, not only did they fucking make you McGregor stand in front of a fucking green sheet and go, but they ended the movie with James Earl Jones doing his best screamo impression. <laughs> I have the higher ground. Oh, I boy. loved you, but it's so terrible. The only thing out of those prequels that's even redeeming, and he didn't do it well, is the fact they killed a bunch of babies. And you know what? <laughs> Killing children doesn't work well unless you do it the right way. If you're not Benicio Del Toro, yes. tearing through everybody's heart. Right, or... Nick Cage at the beginning of Face Off yeah. accidentally sniping a child. Fucking shoot John Travolta and then kill the little Jedi. No, nothing. No. Revenge of the Sith is like wiping your ass with a cactus. Oof. It, ah, man. And the I remember going to high school and people thinking it was cool and telling me it was cool. They're like, isn't it cool that you just got to see what happened? And I just, there was this seething nerd element. It was like, no, it's not cool. It's not cool. The way... 
It's stupid. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Plus, the girl who plays Aunt Beru, the young version, was in that Nexium cult. That is not a joke. That is for real. She ended up being one of the head members of the Nexium cult. So just tossing that out there. You know, everybody makes mistakes and ends up in a Star Wars film. Uh, that is fair. But episode three is trash. I agree. Episode two, though, is mine because it is unwatchable garbage. It is. So they're not clones. They're robots. It doesn't mean. Well, there are clones, though. And then you have to find out that Boba Fett sucks. And you just basically find out every character you like sucks. Whatever you thought was cool, it sucks. Oh, did you think the Emperor was cool? He sucks. No. Oh, did you think uh, Luke Skywalker's dad, who became Darth Vader, was cool? He sucks. No. They all, they're all whiny bitches. They suck now. Cool. Wow. Thanks, George. Glad we got to see that. Glad we got to witness everyone becoming a suck-ass. Awesome. I will posit this as we go into the wall, though. The Mandalorian and things like Star Wars, The Fallen Order, the game, and things like this made me realize a little bit that Star Wars is now starting to be bigger than George. He created something, and now it doesn't really even belong to him anymore. He tried to hold on to it all the way, but no longer, because he created something that is bigger than him. It is a mythology now, and when other talented people get a hold of it, they make cool stuff with it. And I do have some faith that it can be returned to dopeness because truly those two seasons of the Mandalorian, it's a movie podcast, but those two seasons of the Mandalorian are amazing. And Jedi, the fallen order was amazing. And I do have some hope that you have a new hope balance will be restored to the force. So I think there are three, at least deserving movies in the George Lucas wall, both producing and directing. Let's uh, it's time for, the Blockbuster Film School Wall. It's time for the Blockbuster Film School Wall! <laughs> Nick, what's your number three on your George Lucas Blockbuster Film School? My number three is Beverly Hills Cop 3. <laughs> the one George, with the bazooka. George Lucas has a cameo in it where he plays a startled, fat white man. He does. And it is absolutely amazing. It's the best acting anyone's ever done in a Star Wars film <laughs> that wasn't Harrison Ford. Oh. He literally is just at a carnival. Alec Guinness's ghost will hunt you like a goddamn... <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Alec Guinness knows he didn't fucking care. So, if you haven't seen Beverly Hills Cop 3, George Lucas is in it for like 90 seconds. He's waiting to get on a Tilt-A-Whirl or whatever bullshit they have. When the world was open and Eddie Murphy hops out of it and he goes, hold on. And then he runs in front of him and you're like, the whole thing. (laughs) Fuck you. Fair enough. What's your number three? My number three is the original Star Wars. Episode four, A New Hope. It changed my brain, but I do understand it's flawed. It was made by the seat of their pants, but I sort of like that. You can feel the energy coming off of Hamill and Carrie Fisher and, and everybody just, they know that there's a magic to it, a real, true, genuine magic to it. They were innovating and creating things yes. to do it as they went. Yes. And it's there. Like you said, you could see the things. It's not a computer yes. and a green screen. Agreed. There's a, there's a, just with it, a real quick story. The head designer at Kenner 
they were up against it. They had to make all these toys super fast. And he basically begged Lucas. He was like, please, can I just come to the set and just see what you guys are making? I need to be able to figure out how to design the toys. And Lucas, who was like super secretive about it, was like, okay, you can come. You can come. Just you. And he goes. And that idea that they take him to the set and he he talks about how he walked in and they meet him and they're like, hey, man, what's up? What's up here? Come check it out. And they take him in. And they've got the Millennium Falcon like hanging as it's like coming into the Death Star and it's got the whole set and everything is made. And he talks about how his like mouth opened and he just knew that even though he was this toy designer at a toy company in Cincinnati, Ohio, he was like, oh shit, my entire life is about to change. This is the coolest shit I have ever seen in my entire life. Like they showed him all the models and all this. He's like, this is the coolest fucking thing. And I just, I don't know. I find that story very adorable and wonderful and indicative of that movie that when everyone got to see those models and those sets, it blew their mind. Nick, what's your number two? My number two is THX 1138. Hell yeah, it is. It's a great fucking movie. It really is. It's, we're in a prison society and it's aged very well. Got to escape. Escape from the futuristic prison city. Can you do it now during COVID? I don't know. There are murderous cops. Yeah, you just go anywhere in Indiana. There's no rules there still. It's like Outback Steakhouse with yeah. meth. Also like Green Room. Cool. I live here now. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> All right. There's no rules at Outback Steakhouse or at Lucasfilm. No rules, just right. Um, no rules, just meth. <laughs> My number two is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It is the best Indiana Jones movie. It is peak. If you want to see a movie that has River Phoenix and Harrison Ford and Sean Cottery all together in the last time they were all three cool at the exact same time, it's peak. It's peak Spielberg. It's peak Lucas. It's the peak. If you want to see the peak of the mountain for them as filmmakers. I love Jurassic Park. I love Jaws, but something about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is so soulful and beautiful and it almost she re- talks in her sleep. Oh man. It almost redeems America. It's bizarre. <laughs> it almost makes us look like the good guys. It's crazy. Almost. <laughs> almost. Uh what's uh what's your number one, Nick? What's your number one, George Lucas? I've talked a lot of shit mm-hmm. this episode. Yes. And we'll talk a lot of shit about George Lucas in future episodes. But number one has a special place in my heart. Ooh. It warms it. It makes me feel uh, you know, hopeful. Mm. It is the video filmed when they reacted to screening. <laughs> The first prequel and everybody in the theater at this private screening were so fucking dumbfounded by what they had just watched that there's a whole scene where the one the editor's just oh, shaking man. his head back and forth and doesn't stop. The producer has his hands on his side of his face and his mouth is wide open like the screamer fainting. And then George Lucas is sitting there and he's just like, they turn the lights up. He goes, I might have taken on more than I could handle. <laughs> It might have been too much. Yes. Now, this is not a perfect film because a little bit after that, George is out there in his little wine thing in the kitchen. He's like, you know what? It's actually, it's really good. Mm. There's a moment yes. before he falls back into denial Where's where the there's a 
so much truth <laughs> in this room that everybody is collectively going, oh, fuck, oh. our career is ruined. <sighs> and it is the most honest and peaceful. And also, it's the least expensive film ever made at Lucasfilm. Yes. It is the true independent spirits <laughs> of watching a jackass and all of his yes men and their cronies go, we just made a dumb fucking movie with a racist caricature and the guy from Taken. <laughs> yes, they did. And then a sycophants got a hold of him. I appreciate your trolling of it. I do. I really do. And also the footage of the whole episode one thing. Also, there is some really great episode one behind the scenes footage of George Lucas genuinely on the phone with Taco Bell. When watching him direct episode one, him soullessly go, okay, now the robots are coming. Yeah. You attack to the left. No, more to the left, more and to the left. But then him on the phone with Taco Bell is like, I told you it was six cents per unit. Now you listen to me. You listen to me. Like <laughs> you care about this, but you don't care about the about movie. movie. Right. Okay. Yeah. Also, there's several scenes of him just going, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it rhymes. It's like poetry. Ugh. George, have you ever read a poem? <laughs> I've read many poems that I've written. They are the greatest poems. Dear Martha, I like Fartha. <laughs> Come back home. I don't know where the gnome is located in our house. What Take is, off your blouse. How many movies can I have I lots of money for you. Yes. Also, I have to toss this out. We didn't mention it, but he did make a movie called Red Tails. And I just want to say the Tuskegee Airmen deserve better than that movie. That's uh, no shit. <laughs> that is my take on Red Tails. Also, Cuba Gooding Jr., too good an actor to be <laughs> not used. Is he? I don't know. He's better than Red Tails. Okay. My number one, I will go the other way and say that really, truly, the culmination of George Lucas is The Empire Strikes Back made me crystallize my imagination in my mind that you could do cool shit like this. It's still one of my favorite movies of all time. You already made fun of me. I'm wearing the t-shirt. Was it making funny of you? That's fine. You can though. I, I, I wore the t-shirt as a badge just to myself, just of that. I remembered the movie, even as things fell apart, that it still was important to remember. That's how good it is. I still connected to it almost Spiritually, it's dorky, I know, but I love it. I find it to be transcendently good. And very few pieces of art have ever been made that I have found transcendent. And when Luke goes into the cave and slashes off Vader's face and it rolls over and it's his face, it's an interesting element of something. It's a lesson that Lucas should have listened to, that the enemy you think you're fighting is not an enemy at all. It's just you. It's just you. It's always been you. George never got that. Mm. He was that a, crazy. <laughs> he was upset. There wasn't more special effects. on his face. <laughs> Lawrence Kazan ruined this with no CGI uh, aliens. <laughs> He's literally Mr. Burns going have Leonard Bernstein killed. <laughs> it is flabbergasting that someone could produce and create the empire strikes back. And then within 20 years, make episode one. Not even that long a time, really, in the shape of things. Also, don't forget, though, mm. between Halloween and Ghosts of Mars, I know. that's 20 years. That is also true. You're totally right. But I will say 
that if they would have ever given John, well, they gave John Carpenter money a couple times. They gave him money. And him, <laughs> they gave him money, and him and Kurt Russell spent it on fucking Maui Wawi and Asian Kush and AK forty seven. You're right. You're right. There's a people get older. People turn to the dark side. We talked about him for quite a while here on Blockbuster Film School. He's at least a fascinating character. He is truly a important American artist, an important artist. I want, I want to be sincere for a second. Yes. I don't like his movies, but I get a lot of pleasure out of hating him. In that way, agreed. He is such a fascinating, truly fascinating is a good word. Because whether you like it or not, sometimes things that are terrible are fascinating. Sometimes things that are great are fascinating. George Lucas is a fascinating character. He really is. How he got to this point. How he continues to you be know, at this point. If history's taught us anything, mediocre white men get the furthest in life. I'll give him a little more than mediocre. I will. I will. But uh, episode one is trash. Okay, so, well, team, I think that was it. I think we did George Lucas here on the Blockbuster Film School. Uh, Nick, any final George Lucas thoughts? George, buy the podcast, bury the episode. <laughs> Please do. We're waiting to sell out. We'll start Blockbuster Film one. School, sponsored, powered by Lucasfilm. Pow- I'm in. I will. Yes, man. Oh, closer to the hole. You want to close? Closer to the hole. I'll still talk shit on my other podcast. <laughs> of course. And that's the take, George. I love you and I hate you. And I guess that's the whole thing. I sure as fuck don't love you I, at all. I love the nostalgia of Star Wars. I do. I love some of the new Star Wars stuff. But those prequels were trash. All right, team. It's been Blockbuster Film School. Please follow us on, hit us up on Patreon if you want. Throw us a couple bucks. It is appreciated. But please follow us on Instagram. DJ Nick. Nicholas Souter does an amazing job. Super producer Brian Tapps. It was a great job producing the show. Super snaps for that. An amazing job producing the show. So reach out to us if you want to hear about somebody on the show. Feel free. That's something we do on our Patreon. But at this point, we'd be just glad for the feedback. So I want to do something I'd never done before. I want to do a shout out to uh, Alex's dad. What's up? Hey, yeah. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Pop. Hey, Joe Bonner. You still listening? I know you have Star Wars thoughts. That's for sure. <laughs> you certainly did. Uh, you took us. You like a trooper. Stood in line with us so we could buy pre-order tickets to episode one, even though you knew damn well you didn't even want to go see it. But you did it because you're, I love you and you're cool like that. So, and then you did eventually see it and immediately we're like, well, that movie was trash. And then I tried to convince myself that you were wrong, but you weren't. All right. So, uh, it's been Blockbuster Film School. I'm Alex Bonner with DJ Nick, Souter, and Super Producer Brian Tips. We will see you next week. We love you guys. Do drugs. Have a grand old time. May the force be with you. I'll crush you like a bug. <laughs>